everyone to Good Neighbors, an actual play podcast based on the game Monster of the Week, hosted by the most talented, the most beautiful group of voice actors you will ever, ever know. Uh, this is not the game. There is no game here. If you've come here for game, you have this, this all game ends here. Uh, as you can tell, I am not your keeper, Leland. I am your producer, Ronnie, uh, here to host a very fun, uh, Q&A episode with the players and gamekeeper of, of, uh, Good Neighbors. I almost called it Monster of the Week again. (laughs) Spectacular. Slowly will invade their brand. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, y'all, y'all are the, the cornerstone of of the game world right now as far as monster of the week goes i feel it's our game now take that amnesty <laughs> sorry mackle boys it's our show now they've they've uh they've fully transitioned into the dungeons and dragons uh oeuvre <laughs> they've given up all pretense of monster of the week <laughs> thank you all for joining us and thank you good neighbors for having me i'm so happy to be here to host this excellent fun Q&A episode. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for doing this for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have lots of questions from all the listeners uh, and we are going to just go ahead and jump right in. I think Any, anything anyone wants to to share uh, with with the, the, the wonderful listening public. Uh, it's very cool to have Ronnie with us here today, the magical wizard that makes everybody sound like succinct and witty. Uh. <laughs> Instead of the six minutes it takes us to think of every single thing we say. I want to say that I'm stoked that people wrote in questions. There's nothing more yeah. horrifying than saying we're going to do a Q&A and getting no questions. It's like doing an altar call and having no one come down. After the uh, fr- I was checking it meticulously. After like the first hour, I was checking, refreshing, meticulous, being like, no one cares about our show. <laughs> no one's submitted any questions. And then I woke up the next day and they were like, Ted. So uh, it felt a lot better. We do have an awesome group of, uh, of listeners who have sent us in questions. And uh, I guess we'll just start with something we can go a little round robin on where, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you, you know these players. But uh, let's go around the horn. We have a question here from... From Mr. Flamingo, what was the inspiration behind your characters? And we'll go ahead and start with you, Soren. Um, hello. I'm. I don't. Should we introduce ourselves? Like, do a little. Yeah, like, we probably should. Who my character yeah. is? What an insane episode to begin with, though. If you need. It. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanna, I, I hope I everyone knows who we are at this point. Before I get into the end game well, shit, I want to know the full meta lore before I build it. To be fair, uh, we don't like intro ourselves every episode, so it's probably yeah. been a long time since people have heard our real names and yeah. not character right? voices. Seriously, <laughs> um, I am Soren. I play Cassius. He's like a, I get, I, I think the way I pitched it to Lee originally was like a Coney Island con man. Those are the um, exact words. <laughs> but yeah, so he's just kind of like that was originally the sort of like archetypal thing i was going for and then most of cassius's like particular bits and grifts have just kind of come organically like we did a little skypey facetimey session uh with lee like where we went through backstory and stuff a lot of it was just like us joking around very much in the same way that we do like 
on the show and did like master daters and, and all that stuff where it's just like us kind of throwing bits around. And eventually we came to Cassius and then like slowly he's kind of turned into like accidentally um straight up just Columbo. Like I don't like a psychic <laughs> Columbo and I don't I don't know where that came in, but uh, oh my God. <laughs> I think this is one of those things where it's like uh, your your character takes a left turn and you're not looking. I was like, holy, when did this happen? Um, but yeah, it was a very shallow concept to begin with. We just <laughs> we started said, peppering in bits. Before we started the show, we did interviews just to kind of get to, so I could get to know every single character. Uh, and uh, we spent more time during Soren's talking about the fucking lobsters, which we never really brought. I mean, we bring it up, but we never really deal with it. We spent more time talking about lobsters than anything else. We didn't. Yeah, with Gert, Gert was just there. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> it was like a five minute thing we talked about Gert. I was like, also, I think Gert would be a funny name for a doll. Like, I was like, uh, I don't really know what my concept of like at the time because I had never played Monster of the Week, so I didn't really have much of a concept of what I should be making. So we just kind of talked about like, oh, like where? How did your weird come about? And I was like. Yeah, this was just Kurt was like five minutes. We talked about lobsters for like a half an hour. <laughs> one day that lobster conversation will come in handy. But I'm really saving that one for a for a big reveal. <laughs> Gert was the first reveal. That one I don't that that's that's old news. It's the lobsters that's really the core of my arc. <laughs> oh bad. The, the lobster lore has been something that it 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 has appeared to me that that was just something that kind of came up naturally, but the fact that there is a long and storied history behind it. <laughs> no, we also have some yeah. written backstories, and again, more of it was about lobsters than other things. <laughs> this is very formative <laughs> for Cassius. Uh, I think I think Andy said at one point that they thought that Cassius was like bullshitting about the lobsters, and it's one of it's been one of my favorite things that of all the things Cassius has said, the things that he's been most genuine about have been like and it's like great to me that i've thrown so much uh uh just sort of random stuff at the wall that is entirely unclear which is the true part and it is the lobsters probably anna why don't you tell us a little bit about your inspiration for beck Tui? i so i don't think i i knew exactly what it was until actually a few days ago because i was re-watching uh rhett and link's buddy system on YouTube, and there's a bit where, in essence, a like cultist uh, is going door to door in like a bathrobe, and has like a pamphlet and everything, and says that their cult meets at the Y, uh, except when there's a jazzercise class, and then they meet at the Sizzler. And I think that that was like stored in my subconscious, and that is literally like everything. <laughs> it's just what if it was a cultist who is extremely lame, and they worked out of the Y. <laughs> Tui is just the last name of someone in my office. I just thought it was, sounded silly and charming. <laughs> I feel like I remember when we were making the characters, though, and we were like, haha, we, we played a practice game before we actually did the whole mm. like, show uh, in which uh, I played like a Transyl, like a Dracula, effectively, mm -hmm. who, was the, who played Nintendo. But uh, in the uh, in that bit, we were like, they are lame and that is funny, but they do need something cool to, to do and care about. <laughs> And I think, I, did the beacon come out of that? Is that where that, that they started? I I think so, because it's like, if they are kind of a watchdog group who are like waiting for the apocalypse and monsters, it would be nice if they had something to actively fight in the meantime. Mm. 
So we had to like create a threat for them or an adversary that wasn't monsters. So it was the beacon. And then we realized that beacon is the name of the sword in Adventures uh, <laughs> Zone Amnesty. <laughs> and now we have the Bureau, the Beacon, and the Bulwark. I don't was that intentional at it a was. certain point? <laughs> Just so I like letter B. <laughs> Love it. Triple B, baby. <laughs> A- Andy, tell us tell us about uh about June. Our sweet, sweet June. I like characters who lose. Uh, not necessarily losers, but I like characters who get their asses kicked. Uh, I'm a big, like, old school Green Arrow fan and uh, Constantine fan. Uh, so there was a lot of, I knew when I was writing June that I wanted them to be someone who, uh, like, lost constantly. There's a lot of my own trauma wrapped up in June, which uh, was not intentional, but sometimes when you are playing, a game live and you get asked questions uh you reach for what's familiar um yeah so there's there's a lot of that in there and then something that i've really struggled with is uh like queer characters tend to not get happy endings and i think that there is a uh an instinct then when you get the chance to write a character to make everything work out for them. And this isn't me throwing shade at any queer creators, but I wanted to try and avoid that with June. Um, I I do hope June gets a happy ending. I don't know if that is in the cards for them, but uh, I wanted them to uh, still have like a lot of struggle and strife. and then as far as, like, the gang, there's a lot of, like, Pan's Lost Boys, Neverland, kind of Robin Hood's Merry Men kind of thing going on with uh, the uh, the South Swamp Devils and stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Matt. Matt, tell us about Flint. Uh, I thought up the Bon Jovi is the Jersey <laughs> Devil bit before I wrote Flint. And I'm like, how do I how do I make a character that can fit this in where this is something I genuinely believe? And it just turned into like this crazy old conspiracy theorist. And when I'm like, okay, uh, Lee, I need I need a uh, I need a monster that like caused a great tragedy in uh, Flint's past. Lee was like. Why don't we make it something that sounds really stupid and then have it be horrifying? And that's that's how we got the like, yeah, the chupacabra. It sounds dumb as hell, but it's ultra powerful and like killed everybody you know. I do I, love the idea of someone saying like, I was my family was destroyed by the chupacabra, and everyone being like, "You fucking idiot!" That's so silly. You're obviously a crazy man. I can't believe the Bon Jovi bit came first. Yeah. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah, and now I've and now I've had to try to one up it every time I think up of a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I really appreciated the well, who was who was the Muppet that was uh, Sweetums? Yeah, Sweetums. Sweetums. Because you brought it up out of like uh you did the, the you know the conspiracy bit, but then saying, Oh, and Sweetums is the is the is the real one. 
was like way in the middle of something else, like in the middle of combat or something. Yeah. And it was just a, a nice sort of whiplash moment that I really appreciated. Everybody was giving away like a personal secret and I didn't have one. <laughs> 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 amazing that's great uh and and we'll, we'll let lee play here lee uh dr emmett garcia chalamet seems to be the character that you you are uh, you are playing the most uh while you are not technically playing what's the what's the you know without spoiling too much for our listeners and our players uh what was uh your your formation of that character like uh i i honestly uh i'm not entirely certain i i knew from the get-go uh that i wanted to have just like uh, oh wait a minute no i, I know exactly where, what i was going have you ever seen knives out mm-hmm. uh uh the uh not main character the character who spoilers for knives out if anyone hasn't seen knives out the character who is murdered the old man who runs the whole big family uh and is like an author and uh it's like a, a rich but straight shooter kind of type I really liked that, but I wanted their stories to come from something very real. And then and obviously from there, it became I am an author who just kind of journals my experiences with monsters or what people tell me about monsters. And then I get rich off of that. Um, and then is there anything beyond that? I don't I don't think so. It was really just I'm a uh, I'm a, a an absurdly refined man who should not be doing the whole monster thing. I'm not cut out for this. And beyond that, uh, it wasn't too much there. Who's uh, who's everyone's favorite monster? What's 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 the monster that everyone connected with the most from uh from what we've played so far? I, I think my favorite is maybe the the clutch, just in terms of it being like I think I had the most visceral reaction to that one. Like if we were gonna you know see everything it animated or live action, that would be the one that like freaks me out the most. Uh, so I think I like that one the most just as being a very palpable monster. Good answer. <laughs> uh, it is for sure the ugliest. Okay. Yeah. I think I've said it before. I think the monster I wish I had interacted with more was the changeling without a doubt. I was so <laughs> mad. I didn't get to have a seat. I've never had a seat with a changeling. I'm so mad about it. I'm going to spend the rest of my efforts contriving a reason to have a scene with the changeling. But I think as far as like my favorite, monster overall i think it was the i don't know what i would class i guess the poltergeist because it was like that whole mystery to me it was like really i don't know that was really engaging i really really liked that whole like as a set piece and then also just the story behind it i was really really drawn in on that one hands down favorite arc was the haunted motel oh yeah it was the one i was most prepared for i had like long had that one in the back of my brain it feels like cheating, but James Pale was incredibly personal for for me and uh, was integral to June's arc. So uh, that that seems like the obvious answer. And uh, yeah, I I love what Lee did with James. Thank you. Yeah, I was gonna say no real bias needed there. James did rock. Like yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. I, I, phenomenal. <laughs> James was also my favorite, and it had little to do with me. I think there's a question in here about James, so I'm going to withhold uh, further talking about sure. it. Sure. That that question was asked by uh, Tem, who said uh, they were a really big fan of how the Wear Gators worked personally. I have to say, I also was a very big fan of the Wear Gators, if only because when I'm editing, 
I'm I'm listening in real time, of course, because that's how linear time works. And <laughs> and hearing all of you uh, kind of like dance around the idea of where gators and listening to Lee's voice is kind of. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. That would be pretty funny, huh? <laughs> and then have it finally drop uh, was was I, I was uh, cackling while I was uh, sitting editing that one. I remember exactly where I was. The, the mythology around the clutch was fucking super, super cool. It really felt unique and different from other rare creatures, you know, that I've seen in fiction. So I dug that. Appreciate that. That whole arc was a nightmare to shoot for some reason. Like everybody's internet kept fucking cutting out. Oh the, the calls kept dropping. Really we had to like shoot nice. like four, four separate times. And I was yeah. just so pissed that it was not going well that uh, I would just be like, tonight we're not doing it. It's over. We, we can't. I have to do this with a clear head. I can't tonight. It's so annoying. That might be one of the reasons why uh, Haunted Motel is so beloved because it was like maybe two sessions. And everything was yeah. smooth. With no technical difficulty. And it's a mystery, so you kind of, like, can't sit on it for too long. Mm. So, I mean, I distinctly remember having the thought with the Weregator arc going south. Like, one, like, I really fucking love what we're doing with this. But two, like, this just isn't working. And this is only our second arc. Like, is have I committed to a nightmare? <laughs> like, is, the, is this podcast going to function and uh i think i was uh you know right that it it did and we have a really cool show but it, it was a rough one to to record for sure and it's interesting because putting that one together was i feel like the you know because it was the second arc and and clearly there were a lot of sessions where y'all were were starting to you know gel together i feel like that's where kind of the the camaraderie between the characters themselves, but even the, the, you know, the way that y'all were joined together as, as actors, it, it towards that, the end of that arc really started to come to fruition, which then leads into the, the lovely night in which, you know, you were all kind of uh, a team at that point. Uh, that, that second arc really, for me felt like the, the, the way that this kind of really became a thing. So I, I, I resonate with what you're saying there, Andy. I just think it's funny that like so much I remember distinctly not being bothered at all <laughs> that whole time. I was just like, oh, chill, we're not recording. All right. Such a like, cool guy. <laughs> no, I think it was just like so disconnected from all the technical difficulties. I would just like load up Zedcaster and it'd be like, oh, I guess it's not working. Like there's nothing I could do one way or another. Yeah. So, like while Lee was, you know, stressing and Andy like has experience with podcasts. So I was just like, uh speaking of monsters a uh, question from anonymous uh lee do you have a secret list of weird creatures that you want to find a way to work in the story or do the actions and atmosphere that is kind of uh created by the players does that kind of help you form the characters kind of arc to arc uh I, I really don't have much of a list, to be honest. Um, I I think I was talking about it with Matt really, really early on, kind of the way that we would put it together is I'll, I'll take one from mythology and one from the internet, one from my own creation. And, and I kind of just have cycled through that. And then uh, basically what I end up doing is whatever I feel like that the previous arc didn't have enough of, I would just add a lot of it to the next thing. So I feel like there wasn't a lot of ass kicking in 
arc one. So I made the wear gators to do a lot of ass kicking. Uh, <laughs> and then in that one, I was like, oh, there wasn't a lot of mystery there. All right, let's do a lot of that. Uh, and that next one, I was like, there weren't a lot of humans in that one. Let's make the mystery in the train arc and that sort of thing. So it was whatever the last one didn't have. I just make something that feels appropriate to that scenario. It's not. Yeah. I sometimes get good ideas or not good ideas. I sometimes get ideas and I'm like, oh, I really want to make this. And after I get to the next arc, I'm like, this just isn't good. I was going to make killer clowns at some point, And that's not great. <laughs> it's going to be a fucking carnival arc with killer clowns. Not were they going to be from clowns. outer space? You were not going to be from outer space. I could do that. I think that'd be fun. I'd say don't throw it in the scrap heap yet. We can make it work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've got theories and theories I could go with with that. <laughs> can we can we hunt down Stephen King? Uh, we're just going to get Steve specifically from Big Top Burger. <laughs> For those of you who watch Big Top Burger, anyone watch Worthy Kids here? No? Good. I uh, wouldn't be able to do a killer clown uh, arc without thinking of that like strange period in 2016 where there just were spooky clown sightings. Yeah. And stuff. You know, I was just Whatever that was. That. Uh, one of our friends actually had a clown on campus that like would regularly show up. And I don't, I don't know if they... Oh hurt anybody but like they were scaring people and it's like ah that's that just makes you sad doesn't it <laughs> i always forget that was a thing and then someone's like remember in 2016 when there were just clowns walking around i'm like oh yeah that was a thing wasn't it you weird poor soul weird yeah we thought that that's was really the end of times coming and now look at it <laughs> <laughs> i know we talk about you're wrong about a lot but i feel like there was an episode on that but i could be wrong maybe it was a different episode, a different podcast Maybe we should advertise for podcasts that aren't paying us. I take it back. I rescind it. It is a very good podcast. Speak, speaking from other podcasts, Andy is excellent at telling listeners they should stop listening to the podcast they are on and go listen to this other podcast they think they should listen to. I'm just like, no, Andy, no, no, stop. You only got so many hours in a day. What are you yeah, doing here? Exactly. As long as you're exactly. subbed to our Patreon, uh, where they may radio network Patreon, you can listen to other podcasts. But we don't tell them to do that till the end of the episode. So they got to stay listening. <laughs> They already got the Salih. download. We already got the download. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Silly, you did bring up uh, James Pale, the visitor. Ah, um, yes. When did you expect to introduce the visitor? Of course, James Pale, the the character, was was introduced very early on. Yeah. Um, but when did you expect to introduce the visitor as an opponent for the hunters? Uh, and were they supposed to face them this early on? Uh, to the second question, no, for sure not. <laughs> um... I uh, initially so my my basic plan and this may change uh, even now is to have uh, effectively uh, like eight arcs uh, with with interludes in between each of those. And those interludes will vary between how much they actually change the modern day story versus the past. Um, but my thought process was that James was going to be the monster for number seven. Uh, and then uh, the last one is like the big hurrah and whatever. Uh, but is sort of like the before we can solve our problems forever there's this one big barrier blocking us and it's that there is a dark cloud over the over the head of one of our friends let's go stop it uh, uh and that didn't happen obviously uh but you know that's fine right like it's, it's it's great to have the players really enact out some agency uh to to change things and that's fine i'll, I'll figure out a new thing for seven or not have a seven uh as is but yeah is that 
Is that answer? Yeah, we'll, we'll just go straight from six to eight. <laughs> no seventh art. <laughs> uh, at least from my perspective, I had zero intention of facing James Pale uh, when I created June and James uh, and uh, was doing everything I could to stop the party from fighting him. Uh, I did not want yeah. to do that. When you when you really think about it, if Cassius hadn't gone to go collect the money from uh, Jude Keaton, I don't think we would have faced the visitor. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. a good point. This is all kind of your fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Um, I believe uh, I actually played a different uh, monster. Of, I I believe I have played a different monster of the week game with a very similar premise in which one of our fellow characters had a similar kind of dark master. And that was one of the first monsters we fought. Yeah. <laughs> Just couldn't ignore it. They, yeah. they were a, a spooky and their sort of like patron was played like an abusive relationship. Uh, and it was really just hard to ignore uh, because it would make our characters so deeply unethical to just be like, yep, okay, no big deal. Gonna go get Chinese food and ignore your little situation over here. Uh, but then it was almost impossible. But like, honestly, sometimes that's just fun. That insane yeah. level of challenge. <laughs> and props to uh, Mike Sands for implementing the luck system. We spent most of it on the, dealing with that so early. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure we could get through it. I hope you all have some luck saved by the very last one. Because if all of you are doomed then I will kill all of you. Is there, is there another James question? Should I talk about James more or save it? Talk, go ahead. Uh, we want to know all about James. I mean, that's a season wrap on James, basically. Yeah. So, She's still so, like a little bit in there, but we'll, we'll yeah. get further into it in there. James, for me, from my perspective, was uh, when you, I guess not when you, when I came out, there was a lot of internalized uh, like homophobia about and like a lot of guilt over leaving the church and dealing with my family and stuff like that. And um, there was definitely some like self-destructive tendencies in there. And so James kind of represented that for me with June where like June is out and June is proud of who they are, but they have a lot of internalized shit that they haven't dealt with. And James was like the manifestation of that for me in like writing this character. Um, I don't think I told that to Lee and Lee, uh, like you were just phenomenal with James. Um, he was exactly as creepy as he needed to be. And he wasn't too much. I don't feel like, but he was definitely creepy enough. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, definitely like therapeutic to get to kick his ass. Uh, I just did not end, uh, see that happening so quickly, mm -hmm. but, uh, I don't blame the party either for their reactions. Like I think no, everyone played their characters phenomenally well. And I, I, I think all of the reactions to like what was going on was perfect. So I wouldn't I wouldn't change how that went at all. For sure. I uh I remember settling on like I, I had gone back and forth on what James was for a while. He had been an angel for a little while. 
He had been like a uh, like a Faustian devil for a little bit. He had been like a Cthulian monster for a little while. Uh, he had been like just like a bunch of things that I, I just wasn't quite sure where the vibe was correct. And I just started like Googling a bunch of like, what does this? What does this? What does this? And uh, Slender Man came up doing all of those things all the time. And I was like, I really like having monsters that sound stupid on paper. But when you actually are in front of them are fucking terrifying. And so I just really liked that he was fucking Slender Man. <laughs> I, so I like Chupacabra so much. Yeah, as far as like what James was and what his deal was, I don't think I wrote much of that. Um, nah. We, I know you and I had an interview, and I didn't remember anything I said, and then I wrote my actual <laughs> character backstory. So there have been times where Lee is like, right, uh, June? And I'm like, pause, like, is is that correct? I don't remember what I told you. <laughs> I, I know it said Andy screenshots, but like this is what we talked about. <laughs> Whoops! It was a great time. That uh, that was asked by uh, Calf, and uh, she has another question. We're talking so much about role playing and role playing you know, forming these things that were a little bit out of Lee's control, what go around, what is everyone's kind of favorite or favorite role-playing moment or a moment they're most proud of uh, during the course of, of recording? That's a good fucking question, huh? <sighs> uh, for me, it was probably uh, in between sessions going back and writing down all of the kind of, uh, I don't want to say cruel, but all of the like accusatory things the party had said to June and then having June replay those moments. And then Ronnie in the editing, you just went back to the audio and like put those in and it's, it's super, it, it hits really hard. I think, uh, that is so good. at least I hope it does. I hope that that really hit the audience. Uh, I was really proud of that. Uh, and you just elevated it with the uh, production value. So thank you, Ronnie. Of course. Uh, for me, it, oh, shit, this is tough. Because I have one with each of you. But I'm, I'm going to have to go with the uh, the moment where... <laughs> Cassius is like, is there anything I can do for you, Flint? And I'm like, yeah, fuck up some cops for me next time they're bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> and like the most awkward moment of friendship bonding between them as they are just talking about breaking laws and being <laughs> less than reputable humans. That was a really sweet scene altogether. I really enjoyed it. It was, but it, it had that underlying layer of like, I, I'd almost compare it to like the the uh, the characters from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia having a touching moment mm. while just still being awful, <laughs> and that's kind of what it felt like when Flint and Cassius started to bond. Well, I feel like Flint is so direct and so like ready to support people and Cassius is like so aloof and you know like side talking so it's just really fun to watch those two like opposite forces kind of like bump up <laughs> against each other 
I don't know if there is a pairing that can qualify as Chaos Crew because each pairing of characters is so, like, feral in their own way. It's very good. It's very good. I love when every single character gets to go off with each other and have a duo because it's, it's so fun. It really is. I think it's easy for me to keep thinking of stuff that happened in like the big climactic uh, visitor battle. Uh, but also, I think there are just so many moments when Soren opens his mouth and Cassius does or says something that I don't know how to respond to. And then those moments kind of haunt me a little bit. Like, <laughs> Cassius. That's what happens when you mess with the fucking water department? Well, yeah. For me, it's Cassius. That was definitely one of them doing his app developer characters. Then he's like, so I take off my shoes and I just waddle barefoot out to the cart. And I was like, I didn't know part in my mind where like app developer and then just like shoeless indoors in public places, like connected. Like it, oh man. Uh, I have a very different image of app developers than everyone else. (laughs) I, I think of Cassius moments constantly when I'm in the shower like, I'm trying to have, like, a peaceful, like, reflective, like, by-myself moment. And then I remember something Soren said as Cassius. And, like, I'm just like, what the fuck? What the fuck was that? Who Who is this guy? Because I really don't know you that well, Soren. Like, yeah. and I, I'm like, who who is he? What is going on? Is he okay? Is Soren okay? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking unhinged. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, for for me, like as far as favorite RP scenes, at least that I've been a part of, the water department has got to be up there. I mean, it was like, maybe one of the funniest things I've heard on an actual play. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that moment. I I don't know where it came from. It was like it, was it just came out of you. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, either that one, or I, I don't know. Obviously, the moment with the hodag that scene. Oh, that really, really. Yeah, like, that, it's tough because it's you know the water department's a very good example. Cassius as like him in comedic relief and he doesn't have a lot of super like sort of genuine moments and I feel like that Hodag scene was like he was still super like side talking like we always say but I feel like it was closer to his like a genuine moment than he usually gets so I really enjoyed that opportunity to kind of like have that scene yeah there's like so many good like every time I think about this you know when you're like oh what's your favorite scene it's like Ah, fuck, they're all so good. Like, like if I have a lot of like goofs and bits, I feel like Beck, you do a really good job of like alternatingly being like absurdly funny and like Aww. immediately into like very heartfelt. It's like Flint, like everyone just has their own vibes. Like Flint has, you're really good at like doing these like I don't know. You're just always there at the right moment. And like same thing with Andy being like, I feel like you just bring this balance and like genuine believability that i think Cassius is so campy it's hard to like balance that out and like with flint and june it, it helps i think because they are they have those but it's like i don't know it's just flint, it's a really good balance i think flint is always like them. your your sweet uncle who's so like laid back and helpful and then every once in a while matt reminds <laughs> us that like if you asked flint would kill someone for you tomorrow <laughs> and it's genuinely chilling because i feel like it's easy to forget the darkness inside of flint <laughs> flint is a wildly broken man 
<laughs> I, I do think that actually that specific bit is one of my favorite parts of the entire show. Because uh, Matt, to your credit, you're very good at picking up on the narrative note I'm trying to play. Uh, as uh, during your one interlude, we talked about you being a kid and me as the narrator just kicking the shit out of young Flint over and over again. And uh, you playing the sad boy uh, notes to follow me were so good. I felt like that played out very, very naturally and very, very uh, like meaningfully, I guess. Like you could it was very easy to like feel his feelings in the in the those scenes. And it was very good. Oh, thank you. I do not listen to stuff that June would not know. So if I'm not on recording when side stuff gets recorded, I don't hear it. So I'm like, what the fuck happened to little little Flynn? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a good bit. You could listen to it. <laughs> I don't want it to like alter like June's perception of Flynn. You know, like, sure. like, I, I try very hard to, to protect that. Real method actor. No, <laughs> I hate method down. actors. I hate method actors. I'm not and a method he's actor. always, like, mailing us, like, dead animals <laughs> and yeah. getting damage tattooed on their forehead. Uh, they, they say <laughs> it's a prank, but it's the getting rough. <laughs> the whole bit where they were saying the most, like one of the recent ones where they're like, oh, there are like ravens getting stuck in mailboxes. That were like, they were doing that to us beforehand. So it's just like, you know, our imitating life. They're like, ah, <laughs> like, why are you so ready? <laughs> where are you uh, these crows? We have lots of questions about uh, the potential and existing good, good romance that could exist uh, between the characters in the Good Neighbors universe. <laughs> uh, so a combination of questions from uh, Captain of the USS Bean and also... Seriously, there's multiple ship questions. There's, oh, that's, that's, <laughs> the people need to know. Every time uh, there's weird... The we're hitting. Uh, so that, that's from uh, Reed in the USS... Uh, Bean, uh, want to know what's the what's the dream date? What's the what's the the character that that your character would most like to to spend some time with? And someone else asked, which uh, they didn't ask it in a really romantic way, but I'll take it there. Which uh, which character in the Good Neighbors universe would you human voice actor like to spend just hang out with, spend a little time with? Cleopatra, easy. Oh. <laughs> train man yeah well um, they're together now so uh, <laughs> no room um, at the hotel gosh. i almost don't know if i should answer this uh but it's too late you've already said that june i kind of ship june and beck and i don't mm. know if they would work because june is like very specifically gay but there's something in back that june finds very attractive and maybe it is a platonic thing but like that relationship is very important to june and it kind of throws june off their uh off their balance and uh yeah it's it's maybe platonic but may maybe june is confused by it yeah, I it, it definitely is powerful. I think one of my favorite scenes is them banishing James with their like joint spell is is very good. I think 
yeah, Beck is also a uh, a lesbian with no gaydar. Uh, so it would also be a, a thing that they would have to sort of sit down and try to navigate. Uh, it's so hard to tell because they're very uh, different people in terms of how intense or cool they are, I think. But yeah. Who knows? And I don't want to, I don't want to uh, queer bait our audience. <laughs> I think it's just a thing that we haven't uh, planned out. Yeah. 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 yeah like we, we have not <laughs> talked about this. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do again, stress that if Beck is a lesbian and June is, is very much gay, that is hard to uh, <laughs> see ending up like, I mean, sexuality is fluid and exists on a spectrum, but those identities are uh, pretty incompatible. But there, there for sure is something dynamic to their relationship that, like, June is unsure about and is trying to sort through. I think there could definitely be some kind of platonic soulmate situation going yeah. on there. I I do like the the premise of you know, June's sort of, uh, like, watchwords for magic that they're introduced to, secrecy and sacrifice, are obviously toxic, and they kind of have to discover maybe something else that, like, will help them cast. Uh, and then um, structure discipline is fine, but Beck clearly isn't good at it or uh, inclined towards it. So I do like the idea that maybe together they will find watchwords that work for both of them, uh, mm. that are different than like their origins, but are still like healthy and work for him. Yeah. And I think June in the latest episode, kind of asking back, like, can we hang out and do magic stuff was like, June was awkward there. And I oh, think yeah. that is June trying to sort through, uh, confusing feelings about like what Beck means to them. Love that. Mm -hmm. What else do we got? Uh -oh. Hodag and Cassius. <laughs> <laughs> that mm, the Hodag was immediately the horniest character. <laughs> I was so sexual. Very sexual. I feel like Cassius just has some sexuality with everyone that Cassius. It was like with Flint in that one scene, and then there was like for some reason with June like eight times in two. Because you were pretending to be a couple at the hotel, and you were pretending on being a like very sexually adventurous couple who was going well, to be loud. Then there was the scene in Chalamet's chalet where yeah. was, when I like found you, like, it's like over for no reason and over and over. We keep accidentally uh, having those scenes. I don't know. I like I don't ever really as far as shipping Cassius. I don't really see Cassius ever in a romantic relationship. To be real, uh, I feel like he's like in a good like father daughter sort of single dad type of relationship with Gert. I think that's probably the most stable relationship he's gonna have. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as far as shipping, I think maybe him and him and Floyd just kind of like kicking it down at the bay, throwing rocks at trades and shit. Is like, what about Moon Moth? I don't Moon Moth. Great, but she's just uh, she's not his his uh, style, you know. Who's who's the the bartender at the oh, uh, what? Fucking, uh, Dana. Dana. Dana yeah. So not that I ship uh, uh, Cash and Dana, but when you just said 
oh yeah, I've got this like um, father daughter relationship going on. Single dad. I was ready for you to say Dana. I'm like, oh yeah, like, she's she's totally over you as a, as a father, and like you know you're you're kind of a deadbeat. And you went to Gert, and I was like, oh no no, that's that's that is far more because is. he's he's far more at this point like doting to Gert. He yes. puts Gert on yeah. like a beach chair and gives her right. cucumbers. I love the idea that he has a father-daughter relationship <laughs> with both of them, but he right. is really well, bad like, in one of them. Well, okay, so favorite. like, Dana, Dana's just some chick he found in a well. Like, it's not his daughter. <laughs> and she's like, a grown they, woman. <laughs> they bonded, yeah. yeah. They're friends, they're buds. He sees Dana as like, a college roommate more than a fucking daughter. <laughs> friends, or at the very least, Cassius is not a very good friend. <laughs> Cassius is a very big mooch. I think justice for Dana needs to become sort of an undercurrent <laughs> for the podcast. Our, our first t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'll include her more if, if you feel it's important. But I'll... Make Cassius pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> Let's add some tax uh, uh, mechanics to this. As far as shipping um, characters who are not my own, uh, definitely Flint and uh, Salmon Brother. Mm. I'm blanking on his name. FBI Same. agent mm. guy. Cole. Cole, yeah. yeah, Flint, yeah. Flint and Cole. Cole. They got a history Reed's- together. They got shared trauma together. They're- Reed in the question specifically says, okay, but does Flint deep down harbor any romantic feelings for him? Yeah, Reed's on my team. Ooh. So when I originally wrote Flint's backstory, he uh he had a fiance who like when Flint went crazy and left just he just fucking bounced on her. But like it's never come up so I'm My not bad. <laughs> I, No, no, that's fine. It's not I don't really view it as so much canon anymore. So there is there is the possibility of uh him har- harboring some sort of romantic feelings towards Cole, but uh, there's also the fact that uh, I don't I don't even think Lee actually knows this, but uh, Cole reminds me a lot of a situation that happened with uh, someone who, for a long time, was my best friend as a child, and they grew up and became a cop, and obviously we no longer see eye to eye or talk at all. Rough, but. I, I kind of am living out the way I wish it went, where I feel like I'm Flint slowly chipping away at Cole and turning Cole over to a a better leaf. I like that. Little little bit by bit, rather than uh, throwing a beer bottle at them and telling them to go fuck themselves. For sure. <laughs> I admittedly imagine them as like a faded brothers scenario. Yeah. Where uh, the two of them, they were like close in their youth and uh destiny rips them apart and they they had the they they were like the same person once and they were very clearly one went one way one went the other uh and um like when given money and power hector cole went bad and when that was taken away from flint he went good which is you know as thought was eventually when they come back the music video for handlebars comes to mind Mm. (laughs) is the salmon tattoo supposed to reflect that at all so like swimming upstream like how they go in different directions was that intentional at all or no no (laughs) i I have a mythological backing for what i'm planning with that but uh, that's a good way to think about it and i'll pretend that's the case the entire time i do see it as a very like greek hero like brothers in arms bonded through conflicts 
but then, you know, my gay heart then puts it through <laughs> a different lens, uh, which is a trope, like Hercules and Wolverine in the comics, or Hercules and everyone else in Greek mythology. Uh, and Theseus! But, yeah, it's it's Wolverine a phenomenal... Batman. It's a phenomenal relationship in game, Matt, and uh, I think you can read it different ways, and it's it's really well done. So, and, and I I kind of want to keep it ambiguous at least for now uh, as to how Flint feels and what he feels, whether or not they are going to wind up together, or if Flint does have romantic feelings. I kind of want to keep that mysterious because I, as Matt, have not decided if that's the direction it's going to go. For sure, for sure. Totally fair. Uh, if uh, Chalamet wasn't like deeply still in love with his husband Martin, who was you know alive and basically an angel somewhere in the universe, um, uh, I think he would be attracted to Flint if Flint weren't dirty. If that makes any sense. <laughs> uh, like in there was like one scene they had together where uh, it was like helping Flint tie on suits, and I think there was definitely a moment for. Uh, Chalamet being like, huh? Uh, that he didn't, you know, further act upon because... I'm never going to unsee this now. <laughs> because canonically, Flint keeps it tight. Yeah, yeah he does keep it, keep it tight. tight. Keeps it tight. So. Uh, but yeah, like, because Flint is secretly refined and, and witty and, uh, like, he, he, they come from, like, the same stock. It's just that Chalamet got to keep his money. Uh, so... And Flint eats out of garbage cans. Flint eats out of garbage cans. <laughs> I'm going to uh, tweak a question from at Reed Plays on Twitter, uh, asking about uh, asking Andy, how do you come up with your spell incantations? And I'll address this to all the magic users. Uh, you know, the spell incantations, the the uh, magical pro- or the mundane props uh, for Beck. You know, is are these things that are just kind of thought of in the moment or, you know, is there a list of, of seemingly Latin backwards words for, for, I don't, I I don't know what, what's the, uh, what's, how do, how do we come up with these, uh, these magic tools and words? So this has only been hinted at, but June was a big nerd. Like I mentioned, like comic books and stuff in June's apartment. Uh, I really like the idea that the mythology of like magic users can't cast in their native tongue because then they might accidentally fire off spells without intentionally meaning to. So uh, I liked this idea that before June kind of became like a badass punk, that they were like super nerdy. And um, I have this whole thing where they met their first boyfriend at a Star Trek convention, and then they'd meet up every year at that convention and um, stuff like that, which just hasn't come up. But um, June is casting in Klingon. I knew it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fucking. <laughs> yes. That's what it, yeah. I knew it in my heart. So, uh, <laughs> I don't speak Klingon. Uh, I I do watch a lot of Star Trek and I used to, I'm probably mispronouncing a bunch of stuff, but each of those phrases means something in Klingon related to the spell that June is casting. And I just fucking love the idea of like 
June looks really like dark and edgy and the magic they do is really unhealthy and really mysterious and, you know, kind of demonic or something, but they're at heart a nerd and using Klingon. It's pretty good. I just wanted to keep within the theme of like, you know, trying to ball in on a budget and having the kind of power and potency, uh, but it's ensconced in a bunch of like kind of underwhelming bullshit. So, you know, it's a lot of like cheap, just stuff, anything you could really get from like a Dollar Tree. And I just kind of keep like a list of junk on my phone and I try not to repeat stuff. And I might have at some point, but yeah, it's not too deep. It's just, you know, not everyone can get the Pope's tears and Raven hearts. (laughs) 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 Pope's tears is good. I'm writing that down. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Um, for, for, for you, Matt, uh, somebody, let's see, uh, Johnny McCool, Johnny McCool, who, uh, seems to be writing kind of an, an AU of the good neighbors universe with these questions. There's a lot of, a lot of good ones here, uh, for just, uh, you know, forward these right along to Lee to work in on the, on the final product. If Flint discovered he could suddenly do magic, what big magic would he work towards? What, what big magic things would you try to affect? Probably the first thing you'd do is uh, use it to speak Gaelic and actually figure <laughs> out what the fuck is going on with uh, Mr. Delaney. Uh, after that, there. I don't know. I've never even thought of what Flint... He'd probably try to learn how to, like, banish every magic creature back to where they came from. He 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 would just constantly be trying to learn banishing spells. It's a safe one. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, for, for you, Soren, uh, this is from, uh, Jason Siegel, jealous actor and big Good Neighbors fans. What's with Jake Gyllenhaal and Cassius? Is Cassius a big Mysterio fan? Did he really love October Sky? Why did you land on Gyllenhaal out of all the other generic looking white guy actors? Well, it was like early, early bit. That was like the first bit we ever did on fucking Good Neighbors. Like, well, that was the first time I I, in, I didn't canonically Cassius hadn't even met June at that point when I did that. So... Mm-hmm. That was because that was right first episode before first we even episode. met. Before you so, met any of the team, yeah. For Jake Gyllenhaal, I was like, I don't know. I was just doing a bit of like, well, if it's a, if it's a movie, then people will probably ignore loud sounds and stuff. And I knew like Jake Gyllenhaal has like a reputation for doing like indie passion projects. So in my heart, I guess that's where it came from. Of like, he's like notorious for doing just like weird little movies. Like that's the only reason I think. I think he publicly said that that's the only reason he took the Spider-Man job was just to get some like an MCU paycheck so that he could focus on like his indie fashion projects. So I was like, oh, perfect. Jake Gyllenhaal. And then I don't know why it stuck. It just became a like a little platform by which I could like tack on other grifts and like an easy callback to just be like, oh, look, Jake Gyllenhaal. Like we have this. I don't know. It's just a fun running joke. I just (laughs) Jake Gyllenhaal seems like so far as I can tell a relatively unproblematic, very chaotic actor. That's kind of the personality I want to attract. And if we can get him on here. (laughs) 
That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm just saying, he seems accessible. He seems like someone who's like indie <laughs> shit. So, so. <laughs> in your mind, do you have like a, a for the fake film that Hall is supposedly in that Cassius is talking about? Mm-hmm. Do you or does Cassius like have in mind what the plot of that movie is or like the premise? Oh, so it's like so it's it has an insane Far- name. So. Yeah, so it's Farms Along Klondike's Eternity. Um, Fomenting in the levy momentarily, yeah. Uh, and so it's like, in my mind, it's one of those movies that's just like totally character driven and like doesn't really have a plot where you like get to the end and you're like, literally nothing happened. And you just like spent like a full a full day with this person. So I was actually gonna, uh, I was like, well, I, I had to go into self isolation recently, and I was like, if I get bored, I had a list of things I wanted to write. One of them was I wanted to write like the first ten pages of the Chillin film. And then I wanted to write like uh, a treatment and the first 10 pages of the buddy cop Flint uh, Flintlock buddy comedy because they mentioned it very briefly. Oh, and Flint I, like, and Steel. Yeah, Flint, Flint and Steel. Uh, where I was like, I, that's like very good. And I just think it'd be funny to like have all these like in world productions of like, I don't know if we would do it as like an interlude where we just read a bunch of pages or something. But I was, I'm very close to doing it. I just have to like figure out what it is. Um, I think Jill and film just needs to be like something absurdist and totally without meaning. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where it's meaning comes. You know, <laughs> um, my ultimate goal is to really uh, fully produce it and like <laughs> trick Jake Gyllenhaal into doing it. And to, so like he doesn't realize it's a bit on a podcast at first. He just like thinks it's a normal movie. And then, like later on, we start marketing the crossovers, and he's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> that's kind of my ultimate Love goal. <laughs> Uh, so, so that brings up the question from Brandon uh, Lee: Will you ever have guest stars? Is 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 uh, is it possible for for Jake Gyllenhaal to make a break into this podcast? So here's the thing: Better if, if Jake Gyllenhaal well, says I want to be on the podcast, I flat yes. So like, yeah, of course we'll do that. Um, uh, I have thought about that a couple times when I initially put out the sort of casting call for the show. Uh, I had been thinking about that like because i had a lot of people that i did like and thought would be good on the show that i just didn't pick uh and in my initial sort of idea of it we would have for each arc a different guest and then it just became too much of a logistical bit where i didn't really feel like following up on it uh but i wouldn't mind it terribly uh at some point obviously the show is going to end uh i do have an ending plotted out i have that more plotted out than the other stuff um but if at some point I would love to do like a sort of round robin scenario where different um, uh, players here are the G- are the the keeper DM, whatever system we play. And during those, I think that'd be a wonderful time to have guests. Um, I would also wouldn't mind doing a funny spinoff show at some point uh, for no reason. I guess starts for that. And I don't even know if that would happen before or after the show is done. If we felt like. Uh, maybe the show is getting a little too heavy. Let's take a break from it for a bit. Let's do something completely unrelated. That might be a good time. I don't know. Uh, it's I would like to. I just don't know exactly for what. Anyone else have any uh, input on that or what they have preference? I could see in maybe an unfortunate situation where, for whatever reason, someone had to take like a very long absence from the show, and we just wouldn't want to like put the show on a very long hiatus to have sort of like a, a guest person fill in for a couple episodes in that uh like fashion 
just mm. so that it could keep hustling along. Uh, but I also love the idea of having people on for for silly bits. For sure. Goofs and gags. Even if like after the this, the story is over and we just kind of keep the podcast running for because we like it. Uh, if we did like a bunch of dumb like 2D6 like lasers and feelings, honey heist, whatever, for a little while, we kind of figured out what our vibe is for the next one. Be a, a wonderful time to have guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I keep writing uh, Bruce Springsteen to see if I can get them on the show to play the Jersey Devil, but there's just no response. <laughs> wow, yeah, really unresponsive social media team. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, if you want to come on and play one of the monsters, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll yeah, fuck it, I'll play the Jersey Devil. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Well, once you get Bruce Springsteen, it's easy to get Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. just like oh, <laughs> Bruce has already signed on. Who's the celebrity the ladder he's got to climb? Romy, who asked the Jake Gyllenhaal question again? Uh, that would be uh, Jason Siegel, jealous actor and big Good Neighbors fan. Apparently, we can get Jason Siegel also. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Well, maybe they want to stay more outside. They want to stay more of a fan oh, than an fair, fair, active fair. participant. Yeah. They they are shouting out in the shout out section. They are shouting out the How I Met Your Mother's new Blu-ray collector's edition. Uh, so everyone, I guess, <laughs> is this I guess real Jason Siegel? Jason Siegel, are you? <laughs> is, 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 is this Geeks a thing? Jason Siegel, are you here? Hello, <laughs> big, big fan of the Muppet movie. Seagal? Yeah. Um. <laughs> This one, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time here, uh, but I think I can toss this one to, to Lee and we can kind of discuss the process of this. Uh, I really love how much the sound design effects bring to each episode. How do they work? Are they chosen by Lee or by the players they're connected to? Who decides who gets which cool sound? Uh, well, I can tell you straight. I do none of it. Uh, Roddy, would you like to talk about it? Sure. Sure. Uno reverse. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, the sound effects didn't really start to come in. Actually, the first sound effect that I created um, was Cassius's ringtone. Um, the uh, the the MIDI version of yeah, I yeah. always feel like someone's watching me. Yeah. Uh, I was I, I was just I, I was on vacation at the time and I had some extra time and I said, I'm not going to just not put this song <laughs> into good neighbors. And so once I kind of opened that Pandora's box, it was like, oh, well, I can't just not have a crackling fire uh, just happening in the background. And, and it all snowballed from there. Um, after I started putting them in, you know, there are some times where where Lee will give me uh, some notes and say, you know, this is this is what we're going for here or, or you know, edits of just like, oh, this is, you know, let, let's change this up. Um, but for the most part, it is just, I, I listen through, I, I, you know, will mark the whole episode with, you know, here is, here is what I want to do sound effects for. And then on the second go through, I cut that in half because it would be nothing but sound effects. And the, the amount of times where, where someone will say like, oh, I'm, uh, you're just, you're eating something or you're crunching chips. And I'm like, does everyone want to hear some loud mouth noises <laughs> here? And it's like, mm. Sure. Probably not. I can go ahead and skip that. <laughs> a real turn um, down the ASMR alley. Really yeah, quickly. yeah. Uh, specifically, it's just just one example of of how I've tried to kind of hone in on this this process is if you listen, there are very different sounds for Beck magic and June magic. Um, there is, you know, a very impactful um, dark magic. 
that that will come out of the different spells that June casts. And Beck has a little bit more of a, you know, I, I think some of the effects on the the uh, library I'm pulling for are like fairy magic. It's, and, uh, and, it's all and slide it, whistles if you listen. It's crazy. Exactly, yeah. Slide whistles and like bike bells. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was something I tried to keep very consistent that there is, you know, the, the magics are coming from very different sources, obviously. And so, you know, this is not something I discussed with Lee about the lore of magic and how magic works, but it just seemed like the magic would would I want the magic to sound like something. Uh, and it would just sound very different coming from the different uh, realms from which they, they pull their abilities. One of my favorite sound effect moments is Beck uh, trapping Wyetta Grimm in a snow globe and it's sounding like capturing a Pokemon in mm-hmm. a Pokemon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> that made me so happy. I want to shout out the music you've good. done for the show too, Ronnie. It oh is my God. Yeah. Seriously. You. Yeah. It felt really uh, gratifying to showcase in the train arc. The, the different, yeah, uh, sounds it was very very good. It's it's really it's 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 fun to write and to to sound design and write music for this show specifically. There's just such such a variety of genre, such a variety of 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 theme and and vibe that everyone that Lee you bring, but also all the characters bring, and then all the NPCs that are you know kind of related to each character um that it, it's just there's no there's no easy way to, and this is not like you know it's not, i'm not saying it's difficult but there's no easy way to just like oh well this i'll just throw in some harmonica and you know day is done there's there's something very unique that each character brings that i i kind of get a musical sense for and i i love kind of piecing that all together into this wider Louisiana-based world that Lee has kind of put together. It, it's been it's been a lot of fun to be able to craft that. I think when you sent us the the first draft of the intro song, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of us, we were talking about it at the time. It was the first moment where the show felt like real. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of it, we, were, we just kind of had the recordings. The editing had gotten it was where it was at. It's like cool. We're gonna get this done. And then uh, I, I listened to that intro on repeat for days. Because uh, I was like, finally, this thing is about to be a show. People are going to listen to this. And when it when it closes out on that harmonica, they're going to be like, fuck, yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the next one? I was so excited. I was yeah. running yeah. up to people like at work being like, you need to listen to this. This is the intro for my new podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, uh, I definitely played it for my parents when I went to go visit them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, this one is uh, asked by Reed Plays on Twitter. Um, what are Flint, June, and Cassius's playbooks? I don't know that it's officially been stated beyond the fact that Beck is very obviously the initiate. Um, Cassius is mundane. He's just straight up mundane. He's got uh, <laughs> a few moves from Gumshoe, which is where he gets a lot of his like Columbo style stuff. Um. Like one more question is a direct reference to Columbo because it's like his catchphrase. So then when I got that skill, I like very that was hard for me to not fall into just being doing a Columbo impression. But yeah, it's full on mundane. He's he's just a dude. He, all the psychic shit is just like Lee and other stuff that we've added as we go. Uh, Flint's the expert. That uh, he he also has something off of Gumshoe, but uh, I haven't revealed what that is. Almost did. Not quite. Almost did. Uh, but, uh, yeah. We, I, the whole time I was like, 
uh, when we were creating them, I was like, what? the flake is what he sounds like? <laughs> yeah. He sounds like the conspiracy theorist guy. But it has turned out to be a pretty great fit uh, this whole time. So power to you for, for playing it. Uh, June is the, the criminal. And then very recently, uh, June uh, became the monstrous as well. I do love that Soren is playing uh, the the mundane, but he feels like the criminal. June is the criminal, but feels like a magic user. <laughs> and uh, Flint is the expert, but feels like the uh, uh, the the flake. And Beck is the initiate, but feels like the badass. It's it's all kind of going. I feel like. Type. <laughs> Beck is pretty on brand. June definitely uh, feels like the spooky. Yeah. Because they're a warlock, effectively. Or like Spellslinger, almost. Yeah. Any of those uh, work pretty well. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, in the, the Monster of the Week universe, you can change playbooks after you hit level 5, and the way we do it is uh, to avoid a massive power jump. Uh, it's when you take that one, you get one the, the initial power that it gives you from the new thing. So the, we get the, like for, for June's sake, it's the monstrous first ability that they gave you. And after that, you kind of just get it as normal. Yep. Otherwise, it'd be crazy to jump <laughs> into like, and now I have six new powers. That's it, you know? It's so, good. so easy to like become a demigod uh, in Monster of the Week. Uh, I think yeah. everyone's been really good at making interesting narrative choices uh and not just sort of like min maxing which is absolutely fine like no shade but in like a live play i think it could be a little jarring oh yeah <laughs> there there's absolutely a skill i could have picked up very early on to remove flint's one weakness where i would be using uh essentially the same stat for everything including trying to talk to people uh, i wouldn't have to roll charm anymore and it would have removed my only weakness, and that would have been really boring. And yeah. it's hard for you to level up. So Yeah, for that's sure. too. Which I guess kind of stems its own problem, uh, where, you know, if you don't have all of those things, you eventually level up really, really fast and, and get more stuff. But yeah. We also just, like, don't allow some things. Like, no one can be the divine, because being able to teleport wherever you want at any given moment for free every time sucks. <laughs> that's bullshit. Yeah. Um, and then obviously your hands are just the weakness of every monster. Also bullshit. You can I I it's all crap. You cannot take it in my <laughs> in my table. A uh, quick one here for Andy. Uh, Jack asks, "How tall is June now?" I think June was tall to begin with, and uh, the way I see it as, uh the experience in the latest arc has lessened June's uh, physical transformation has like reversed some and that as June uses their monstrous powers, their like second form comes out, uh, but extremely tall. I I'm not going to give it a number, <laughs> but uh, June is June is very, very tall, especially when they use their monstrous powers. Yeah. At some point, at some point June's just going to like, casually dunk just to demonstrate <laughs> do some magic and then turn around and all of you mm -hmm. hell yeah uh, just the space jam crossover uh, <laughs> yeah yeah universe. that's the that's the genre we're missing so far <laughs> <laughs> uh 
for all the hunters, uh, what do you think would have happened if your character never encountered the weird? So I guess what what would your character be doing now if not a part of uh, this this big monster hunting crew? Flint was at a crossroad where he would have either wound up being a uh, having a doctorate in history and archaeology or uh, would have become a professional NFL player and it could have gone either way. But either way, it was great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, it was going to be fucking awesome. (laughs) Life is cruel. I think Beck would be like, okay. I think they would just be like a somewhat stagnated 20 something trying to figure stuff out. Uh, Beck took a, instead of going to college, took a gap year and like drove a tour bus in uh, Louisiana uh, but then just ended up never going to college, which is absolutely fine. Uh, but, you know, it's just kind of working like a part time job. And I, yeah, I think they would just be still in the process of trying to like figure things out. Like, I think they'd be fine, but I don't think they would be living a necessarily like very interesting or fulfilling life. Uh, and they they wouldn't have six sword skills. So <laughs> truly, this is the better outcome. Yep. <laughs> June left home very young, probably like 15, 16-ish, and uh, ended up meeting, uh, I think, Two Socks, not Two Socks, Lefty and Juice, and forming the South Swamp Devils uh, with like other queer young runaways, and um, would probably just still be doing that, like helping the community and doing shenanigans and like crimes but you know being really close with the people actually in their neighborhood and helping them when they can so it's hard for me to picture like an alternate universe with Cassius where he isn't like dead in a ditch like I don't know like all roads sort of lead there with him I don't know how he's avoided it for this long but I mean I think well I think it, he very likely would have continued Antique's horror show a lot longer. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he would just be like probably either, either in like jail or just doing the same old stuff. Like I think weirdly the weird kind of changed. I don't know. We haven't touched. I don't know how much like metagamey stuff we're delving into, but like the, the weird kind of diverted his attention away from grifts for the latter part of his life. Like, after he encountered Gert, he spent a long time like traveling around and like trying to figure out what was going on. So a lot of his like he was on like a the, the Moon Moth kind of encounter was supposed to be sort of like what another in a long series of like basically him going to um different communities and like asking their spiritual experts for help. So he'd been to all these like weird different Christian cults and weird different just like uh like small sects of of spiritual belief trying to find answers and I think if he hadn't had that weird sense of purpose it would I think it would have just like yeah really continued down that grifting path in a really negative way that it weirdly saved him from and I think we may have uh have touched on this a little bit earlier um just talking about the inspirations um but specifically 
um, uh, Reed Plays asks, what piece of media has influenced your telling, your, your role-playing in Good Neighbors the most? Uh, this this is specifically asked to Leland. I'm expanding it to everyone. Um, they they specifically ask Anna about significant pop culture touchstones that helped you, you know, uh, form formulate uh, back. But all together, the media that uh, that informed you the most. Uh, first, shout out to Reed for being like our biggest fan. Oh my god, I, I love Reed. Reed. You're so sweet. Reed is yeah. so wonderful. Reed, Reed uh, does so in the much. shout out say. Y'all rock. So Aww. there's there's Aww, immediate you, response. You. Constantly one up by Reed. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hmm. I don't want to sound like a like an asshole being like there are no inspirations. Everything <laughs> I do is completely original. Uh, I'm just uh, scatterbrained and I can't pinpoint yeah. it a very satisfying. <laughs> that feels to me very much like a sort of satire on a karate kid kind of like character yeah. i don't know was that played into it at all or was that just something that you kind of found as you went along a little bit i think there's definitely that like the trying to straddle the line of like this uh kid that is really obsessed with martial arts in a way that feels laughable without fully crossing over into like a white character or a non-asian character that is uh, like really obsessed with martial arts in an appropriative way, but also the show is a little bit more ambiguous. So it's not like they have a sort of a specific background, but even still, I would feel awkward if I made them a bit of a like uh, weeaboo, like too much to the point where it felt a little awkward. So there definitely is some karate kid there, but in, in hopefully the best way possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Adventure Zone Amnesty was a big one. Obviously, uh, I loved that that show to death. Uh, maybe it's honestly the only uh, Adventure Zone component I've been able to listen to uh, for for the McElroys. Um, you know, not to not to knock whatever everyone else's cheese is, but I think that one had just like a really strong narrative flow, which I appreciated. Uh, hmm. I can't think of like anything that hits that exact note that we try to play of like this is very very stupid until it's not uh which ah, man I know for June I kind of mentioned you know loving characters like Constantine uh something like an image that I kept coming back to is Charlie Cox in Daredevil where he's constantly like beat to shit and then crying about his catholic guilt and uh like just that image of him like shirtless covered in blood and bruises and shitty bandages uh crying in his empty apartment i was like yes that is what i want uh so that was uh definitely influential in like as i was devising this character i kept coming back to his performance in that show Uh, specifically season one i the, the rest of it's you know not great but season one of daredevil is is Chef's kiss, very good. I love the idea of of June being at two hit points in any given fight and stopping and thinking, would Charlie Cox keep going? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna roll kick some ass. Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm always never. gonna, 
I'm always going to take harm as my glitch. <laughs> yeah. I will always oh. take harm as my glitch if I can. If it won't kill me, I will do it. Uh, I will never roll kick some ass. No, thank you. <laughs> I honestly have no idea where the idea for Clint came from. I just wanted to be an old man. <laughs> uh, buddy of mine says Flint's voice is just uh, from back when I used to smoke uh, three packs of cigarettes a day before I became healthy and stuff. So I have no idea where Flint came from. <laughs> is it perhaps Matt manifesting himself as a crazy old man? Uh, maybe. Maybe, yeah. There's a little bit of paladin in there still. You can't escape. Well, that that never that never leaves. I, no. I am physically incapable of no. playing a character in anything without without that uh, uh what's it called instinct of well gotta save people well gotta save people. <laughs> I have I have tried to play <laughs> genuinely evil characters in games, and I still have to give them well they're co they're evil code of ethics says he'd say he'd run into that burning building to save that kid. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Flint's I always think... seemed a little bit like Vesemir from the Witcher. If you gave him like a super soaker, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, like... I've never, I've never played the Witcher. <laughs> I see that sword. And I see that. <laughs> uh, oh, that's very good. I, I made, I made Flint before I watched the show, but when, uh, when my girlfriend showed me, uh, Gravity Falls, I definitely felt mm. a, uh, mm, a strong yeah. connection to, uh, both of the Stanleys with Flint, uh, or both of the stands with Flint. I'm like, oh yeah. I was, I was gonna say, it, Flint is, is a tough one to pin down even for me because it, it strikes me as like being like a Liam Neeson type, like a Taken mm. type. Who like, yeah, like whatever, whatever needs to happen, I'm just going to make it happen if it protects the people around me. But then like not toxic and not just like a terrible kind of person. And <laughs> what, what popped into my head was like a Liam Neeson mixed with Grunkle Stan. Like, no, no, we're, we're I'm, I'm coming to get you from this horrible uh, forest monster and going to kill them also. That is pretty good. And I've said Columbo a lot for me, but I do. I just Columbo is such a good show, and it's underrated. And it's, <laughs> I unironically have watched like every episode of Columbo. I spent like all summer just watching Columbo. It's very good. But also, um, there's this fucking movie. I thought it had Jake Gyllenhaal in it for a second, so I was very excited. But it doesn't. <laughs> it's called The Nice Guys, and I feel like it's just like a really. It's like a, uh, uh it's Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, and it's got like just a ton of people in it. But it's like just the it's like they're private detectives and just everything goes so shitty. It's like the first thing that Ryan Gosling does is he like does that thing where he like wraps his hand in a shirt and tries to punch out a window to break in somewhere. But he like cuts his whole hand on the glass. It's like oh. it's like and he like just bleeds out. On the, like he doesn't bleed out, but he like passes out before he can get inside from blood loss. And that's just always been like for me, Cassius. It's like. He'll like you're trying to do something cool and just like it'll malfunction in the stupidest way. But like throughout the entire movie, every time they need to like find some clue, they always just like fall off of like a balcony down a hill and like they land straight up next to the dead guy. And it's like it's just I feel like that's Cassius to a T of like really not trying his best, but just getting fucked like in the same in a similar way to how June gets fucked up, but it's like 
by only his himself as opposed to like <laughs> June who's like fighting valiantly. It's just Cassius is bumbling through the, the whole set too much to um things. So that's the nice guys. It's a good movie. Just go see it. I feel like we did talk about um Matt Berry's grifting instructor from Community <laughs> at some point. I t- entirely forgot he was even on that fucking show. But it's like such a good I'm, anything Matt Berry does. I'll, I'll, I'm always <laughs> taking inspiration from Matt Berry. <sighs> if you also love Matt Berry, when they return from the hiatus, <laughs> you should watch Master Daters on Twitch, which is honestly just like a covert Matt Berry fan club. We never talked about that. It just kind of happened. I don't True. Know and then we both started consuming process. more Matt Berry content yeah. to like shore up our knowledge. I feel like part of the conceit of the show, because a lot of it is playing dating sims, which have like visual novel energy. It's just like, we need voices. You know who has the greatest voice? <laughs> God, one day we'll just hire him and we won't tell anyone that he's replaced us. We'll just have him start doing the show. Oh, wow, production quality went up. Matt Barry, you want to be on the show? You're in. Yeah, I know you're listening. <laughs> if Cassius ever dies, the character I'm bringing in is Pat Mary, and he's gonna <laughs> just be Matt Barry. He's another mundane. He's not his <laughs> actual actor, Matt Barry. <laughs> please, please do, please do. Oh, very good. To uh, we're gonna head back to Johnny McCool, who has a a title that I failed to mention. Uh, the Lobster King, Ender of Worlds, Ruler of the Seas, CEO of Bumblebee Tuna. Um, oh, th- those are two separate people. I those are two different people. Excellent. Yeah, I'm going to put the table. Yeah, they just ask the same kind of cluster of. Gotcha. Questions. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, then ignore that. I think I've, I think I've been giving some false some false credit here. Uh, but so. So, yes. Yeah, so this one asked by the Lobster King, Ender of Worlds, Ruler of the Seas, CEO of Bumblebee Tuna. It's a little dark. Uh, Beck, if Chuck Hayes were to disappear slash die and Beck became head of the bulwark, what changes would she make? Wow. That, well, that is a thing. One of the level up options for the initiate, it might be one of the advanced ones, is that you gain control of the the cult or the sect. Um, And also I was terrified of... um, Chuck Hayes dying during our last big arc with James because he was uh, being held by the beacon. And I just knew that if I used luck at any point <laughs> that Lee would hurt our favorite karate father. So that almost became a very real reality. Uh, I think that Beck would open up who gets to learn magic Uh Chuck Hayes is very judicious about it, whereas I think that Beck would be more concerned with making sure that everyone is as armed as they could be. And I think that they would try to be a little bit more proactive, not to like shame the bulwark or anything, but they're, you know, effectively like a doomsday cult where they're trying to like stand guard for the end times and be prepared for when monsters like fully invade the earth. And I think Beck would be like, well, we can't just rest on our laurels. We need to go to Tupelo national park and like beat up the beacon like now, you know, uh, I think it, you know, maybe definitely in that loss and in her grief could probably get more militant, uh, than he's probably 
wise for that group of people. But one way or the other, 100% would be more boots on the ground, more proactive, more, we gotta go fuck them up now. But I love, I love the good karate father. I don't want him to die anytime soon. But also, I feel like we are like running out of uh, beats to hit uh, with him. And once a character is sort of extinguished all of their narrative energy, they have to be sacrificed. <laughs> <laughs> to create well, new narrative beats in their in their absence and I understand that. <laughs> so, we'll see. I love that with just a move or just with an upgrade of your playbook, you can just like hostile take over an yeah. organization. I, I want to say like, sorry. <laughs> One of them is that like you get control of like a like a portion of it, but then I think the advanced level up is that you get like the whole dang thing. There's also a, a move I could take at some point that gives me an apprentice, which could be really fun. But it's really hard to imagine someone being the apprentice to Beck when Beck has such apprentice squire sidekick energy. <laughs> so, we'll see. Uh, keeping, keeping it nice and, nice and dark, <laughs> uh, Michael asks, how has working in horror affected your experience? of fear. Hmm. But I guess just let's talk about your experience of working in horror. Because I, I as, as someone who is a big scaredy cat, it may like Lee, you talked earlier, like it's real stupid until it's not. Uh, there are some parts of this where like the, the James pale bits, even, even some of the uh, early on the, um, the, the hag, the hag. Yeah. That, yeah. that, you know, they they gave me the spookies. I was I was a little, I was a little scared. Uh, I think that this is a true horror podcast at its core. What's what's do do you feel that way? Does does that come across or or at, at the end of the day, is it more goof em ups than than horror? That's a that's a good question. Uh, anyone, of course, feel free to chime in. Um, but I I think the uh, it functions best when you set the standard as being totally removed from horror at the very least in, in my experience with it if it is funny and camaraderie and happy for a lot of it and kind of like loose and intriguing mystery here and then suddenly it's like no your arm's about to get ripped off uh like that massive turn is is what makes it more horror for me uh because it also means like i want the character to succeed i'm so happy for you uh uh and then the idea that like i'm about to eat half of your body feels uh just harsher it, you know, the, the flip in what world you live in just makes it more powerful, I guess, in my brain. Anyone else, feel free to chime in there. I used to say that I didn't like horror as a genre, and I think a lot of that was just not connecting with, like, pointless, like, nudity and gore that has kind of, like, seeped into some aspects of that genre in, like, a really schlocky kind of way. But very recently, possibly because of this podcast, I've been watching uh, way more like kind of classic horror. Like I, I really connected with Rosemary's Baby. That's a phenomenal movie. Uh, I just watched Blair Witch Project for the first time and really loved that. So I literally I'm, just talking about that today. What the hell? <laughs> uh, I live near Burkittsville. So it's like that really hit for me. Um 
So yeah, I do think that doing this podcast and kind of working in this medium has given me a new appreciation for uh, that medium when it's done in a way that I really appreciate. So yeah, it, it, it's been cool. Uh, there's definitely been times where like we finish recording and I'm like, I need a drink and like, I need to go hug my fiance. Like that was wild. So, so I, I'm uh, in a similar boat with uh, Andy where for a very long time, I thought I didn't like horror and I recognized that uh, I actually have an aunt that writes horror books, uh, fairly uh, well-known painter and author, but uh, she, she explained it to me. It's like, no, you actually like horror. Uh, what you don't like is what she describes as torture porn, which is, you know, like Andy was saying, the senseless nudity and gore. Working working on this, uh, I tend to lean a little heavier into the comedy end of our comedy horror, I guess is what I'd describe it. So uh, I, I just try to react more than... Uh, act as far as bringing things up that are creepy. Totally fair. Yeah, I think that that, that kind of makes sense to me. Like, As far as like reacting, I don't know, a lot of the horror stuff I feel like doesn't hit me as much, because I am in more of like a state of just sort of reacting and more like kind of just trying to find the next moment and like where we, we go next and all that. It's, it's a little hard for me, I think, at points to catch, like get caught up in like the darker aspects at least playing caches is like such a emotionally distant character that sometimes it's a little tough to like through his eyes uh connect with a lot of the horror even though it's like i i recognize as a player that it's it's some of it is quite tough and i don't know it's it's never i think for me hit that close because i'm always like I don't know. There's definitely moments of stress, but I don't ever feel like I'm like scared. It's a lot of just like, oh shit, what do I do? And I'm always just, I think, trying to figure out something, either whether it's like a goof or a bit or just like narratively what happens next that I don't tend to have a ton of time to focus on, like feeling the fear as much. Yeah, I feel like I, I agree with Soren. It might just be the difference between playing uh, a game just like with your friends casually and then trying to do like a live play, which I think you, your brain is just kind of running subroutines of like other stuff uh, of like, Oh, what's the next joke I can do? What would be like a sick line to throw in? Uh, it, I don't want to make it sound like, well now because it's like a chore, I think it's more just uh, your attention is split in a lot of different ways and you're trying a lot harder to to create something that maybe you're just not like letting yourself settle enough to be actively scared by everything. But the horror yeah. of being seen and the horror of being the weakest link in the room and the horror of flopping like, <laughs> with a joke is definitely something about <laughs> recording an actual play. Yeah. Uh, being, oh, yeah being in the kitchen as the soup gets made and helping make the soup and then eating the soup, it tastes different. So yeah. I think that's a very big part of it is uh, it's very vulnerable to make this podcast. And uh, that is in and of itself, 
horrific. Oh yeah. yeah. I'll I'll say like yeah, I, I far more often come out of the podcast being afraid I made a shitty joke or that like everyone hates me yes. for no reason <laughs> yeah. than I do uh being afraid of like a hodag, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's you know, from my perspective, I'm uh playing with a lot of people who are on other podcasts, are streamers, are these like very experienced LARPers, so they have a lot of like improv experience. They're like actors and screenwriters, and I'm here out of uh, nepotism, and I'm here to like tell my jokes and like cast <laughs> magic with like Mighty Beans. Uh, so I'm just like God, Mighty Beans rule. Uh, definitely very intimidated, but also of course very honored. Uh, blah blah blah. <laughs> uh, Lee, here's another one from uh from. Lobster King, Ender of Worlds, Ruler of the Sea, CEO of Bumble- Bumblebee Tuna. Um, okay. Is there anything which the hunters latched onto and really ran with that you didn't expect? An NPC that was supposed to be a one-off that the hunters grew so attached to or that they became recurring or something that the hunters did that you were not at all prepared for? I'll tack that on. Uh, uh, someone else uh, asked about just a moment that that surprised you the most. Um, me pull that name yeah uh robbie asked uh, a, a moment that surprised you the most so kind of combining those two things the-, I mean, the moment that surprised me the most was when june shot the visitor like right at the gate like walked in and just did it no no uh long back and forth just walked in and fired uh that was uh fucking stellar <laughs> um as far as npc said it was one of uh that's a good question i i don't know um Guys, is there anyone that you cared about that I didn't plan? That I mean, I did didn't... you plan on Lewis sticking around as much as he did? A little yeah, bit. Patrick. That was something that, that. I was gonna say Cleo. <laughs> I guess, but Cleo hasn't like shown up. Yes, on anything besides the party. Okay, fair, That's fair, fair. fair. But she's always in my thoughts. Yeah, uh, think so. about her constantly. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lewis, we made like pretty early on. Matt and I sat down and we were like, "What would be a good kind of connection you have to the city?" And Lewis was this like this is who I could have been, or this is someone who reminds me of what I was kind of deal. So, yeah. You know, he, he had always been meant to be there. Uh, that's why his fucking last name is Steel. Uh, yeah. Uh, Maybe like Agents Deckard or whatever. Fucking. Maybe, right? Because <laughs> if, if the game is so episodic uh, in that way, like it's not really meant to be played or uh, like long form, what have you. So in, in, somewhat intentionally all of the npcs are really contained in the spot we put them in uh so it's kind of hard to to really say that any of them gets dragged out into the rest of the world not to be uh you know selfish but what did you see june doing in that moment i thought you were going to bargain for jude's life uh i thought you were going to walk in there and you were gonna you were gonna do the sacrifice play, but it wasn't gonna be with a gun. It was gonna be like talking. This long, kind of drawn out, uh, well, you've done this wrong, but I've done this right. This this sort of um play of like, well, now the table uh, like our power cap has closed dramatically. This we are different now, that kind of thing. And and ultimately be like would sap some of that strength back from you in exchange for uh getting Jude back on track. But this is also great. So, you know, no harm done. I think that moment is so powerful because you could do a very traditional lead up of the bargain and then, you know, 
fuck this. I'm just going to shoot you, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, we know wouldn't have worked. And that would have been, you know, a, a really uh, palpable moment that kind of just you would have been stuck. But starting with the anger, starting with the aggression, starting with like a physical attack, you know, makes that bargaining in the in the end, like more of like a groveling thing, like knowing like, well, like I gave you all that I have and you're still here. So I guess I've got to give more of of myself, not just of of the the power that I have, but of my literal self to defeat you um, and then having everyone gather around and be like, that's not going to work. <laughs> Um, was you know it, it 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 upends the traditional play in a way that I think that your your character only could have. I think Those Andy has a great instinct for the like cliffhangers. You do, yeah, <laughs> uh, and do. sort of ending the episode on the most uh, unexpected note. I'm still thinking of the end of Obligatory Beach episode. You should go listen to it. <laughs> I, Thank you, Matt, for the name suggestion. I I ultimately knew that I wanted June to end up in the monstrous playbook, uh, and I kind of knew I wanted there to be a bargain using Dark Negotiator to get there. But I needed a moment that would cement in the audience's mind that June's heart was in the right place because the party had just questioned it, like very dramatically, uh, and like each member of the party, like June, did not have a person in their corner. Uh, who thought they were doing this for like the right reasons. There was doubt in everyone's mind. So I wanted a moment that the listener knew that June's intentions were good, even if the party doubted it. And uh, I needed June to like fully break down before I had that dark negotiator moment. So that was where my headspace was there. And like, you know, shoot Luke or give up the gun. Mm-hmm. From from just a process like an editing process standpoint, it one of the um, the cool things is that I can kind of decide where episodes begin and end. Uh, that is also something that that Lee has a little bit more input there. Not that I would bar Lee from having input, but Lee <laughs> no. doesn't doesn't give that uh, doesn't doesn't give notes uh, that frequently. Just kind of trusts me with that, which I really appreciate and I'm honored about. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> I was like, am I just putting too much work on you? No, no, no. I, I love it. I love it. Um, because it allows me to, you know, based on whatever the, the episode is, if it is like the middle of the arc and it's investigative and, and you know, there's a lot of research involved and we need something that's kind of a little bit eerie and a little bit, um, you know, cliffhanging, but in a, you know, let me think about this kind of way. I know that Flint is going to give me that line that is going to make it so that we can end on a, on a thinker really uh if if we need to get really amped up for a fight um you know bex let's go it's hero time oh. it, no no time to talk it's hero time that iconic like, that was that was the first i mean that's the first episode uh so it's it's, it's you know that's that's where i really get to like okay like this is this like we're getting into something next ne- the next episode's really leaping into a fight if it's if it's you know it, not not to 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 put Cassius further in a box, but if it's a real, just goof him up. <laughs> if we just need a good chuckle to end on, if we just, which is it's perfect because if we can just end on every every track just in a laugh, just laughing on its way out. I know that the audience will be doing the same, and I know Cassius gives me that. And like everyone said, like if if there is just like a really poignant cliffhanger, but in like 
a scary way, not in a thinker way, but in a scary like, okay, like I need to buckle up. That is where I know that Andy and 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 June really give me what I need. And and it's it's you know, every every character has that and every character I hope gets their chance to shine in that way. And it's just so cool to be able to, you know, intercept those things and and so many episodes could end at several points in the recording based on the very, very good lines that I'm getting from each character. But, you know, it's just based on the tone and the the narrative of what each segment is. It's it, it makes it easy because I don't have to worry, like, is there going to be a good ending line here? I'm going to I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it one way or the other. And and the the voice actors that are that are in front of me just do an excellent job in in providing me with that good, good audio gold. Thank you, Ronnie. <laughs> Thank you. I do love texting Ronnie, and this isn't me like harassing our producer. I, like Ronnie and I are pals; we're on other shows together. But I love texting Ronnie and be like, "Where, where'd you end this fucking episode? Like, what, what <laughs> moment was it?" Uh, because like we'll record a big chunk, and I don't know how it's going to get split up. And I like I like to listen too, but sometimes I don't want to wait, and I want to know where Ronnie's hands are, and it's. <laughs> It's very fun kind of picking his brain and asking him about stuff like that. It is. It is very fun getting Andy like, oh, you, you're not ready for this. And knowing that <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get four hours of audio that I'm probably not going to listen to all at once. And I'm like, yeah, in three weeks, I can't wait to chat with you about this thing that happened yeah, last right? night. <laughs> yeah. That's maybe the hardest part is that you have to come back and be like, okay, what the fuck happened last mm-hmm, time after mm-hmm. a month of play? Mm-hmm. I, I will, I will say that I do lean on Lee for like the description and and kind of really like uh, doing recaps and stuff like that. And so I am reaching out, be like, hey, five weeks ago you did this thing, just record a thing that tells everybody what you did. Go and and, and Lee is without a doubt always always on the ball there. Um, I have a que- question here from uh, this is specifically for June. It's from the Lobster King Ender of Worlds ruler of the CC of Bumblebee Tuna. Um, but I think that this could apply to anyone. We, we everyone has a bit of a, a bit of a backstory that has brought us here. Um, if you could change one aspect of the past, uh, what would they what would you change? And, and, you know, that whether it is without major repercussions or considering the ripples, it would throw in, you know, is there something in your backstory, in your, you know, played experience in in the, you know, very much living in that character's mindset? Is there something that you would change? Oh, boy. Uh, it's. Oh, I got to think on that. Um, I don't I don't think so. Is this. Andy that is being asked this or is I this think June being asked I this? think June because Andy you you have written the character yeah. of June and you could just as easily <laughs> unwrite change the character anything. of yeah. June brought you um, into this world within the world is, is, is something is there something June is there something Cassius is there something Beck or, or, or Flint would would change uh, whether it, it has these big dramatic uh, impacts or not I don't think June is the sort of person who second guesses their decisions, uh, partially because Andy is not the sort of person who uh, spends a lot of time second guessing their decisions. I think June was dealt kind of a shitty dream. 
I know, right? Yeah. Uh, I think June was dealt a shitty hand and they learned to play the cards they were dealt and has done the best they can with those cards. And they have been understanding that, like, given the circumstances they've been in every step of the way, they've done the best they could. And it hasn't always worked out well and people have gotten hurt, but uh, that wasn't always June's fault. And June did what they could to navigate those really tough situations. So I don't know if there's anything that June would alter. I mean, they for sure feel guilty about some things, but that's just kind of part of being a a person. You know, sometimes you feel guilty for shit. But I don't think that, like, if given, like, powerful cosmic ability to alter time and, and do decisions differently, I don't think they would. I mean, if if Flint could change something from his history, yeah, he'd, he'd go back and make sure, like, everybody he knew didn't all die at once. It's pretty. It's a pretty good one. Kind of a softball yeah. question for Flint, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was nice and easy right over the plate. It's rare to have a moment that's just like, oh no, this. This is literally where everything went wrong. It was just so fast. Uh, I think, for starters, Cassius would have made his dad a crab fisherman. Uh, <laughs> Instead of a lobster There's a lot of problems you gotta deal with as a lobster fisherman. You don't gotta deal with as a crab fisherman. It's just JJ Halliday would never have yeah. taken a crab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Shakespearean world of lobster fishermen that you have created. I'm so curious <laughs> about. God, have we talked about JJ Halliday on the show at all? Uh, we yeah, didn't, except in the but... archives. In the archives, we mentioned it. I think right. I don't think we really mentioned it other than that. Um. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think what's cool about Cassius is I think if if you asked him at the beginning of the show, he would have immediately been like, I really fucking wish I never met Gert. Goddamn Gert. <laughs> but like, as he, was a very, he has a very different opinion now. So I don't know. Like, it would have been an easy question, but I think now it's a little more complicated Um, where he's at in his arch. I'm not sure. I don't I don't think he would at this point other than the crab the lobster. Okay. I think that Beck might have, like, regrets maybe not being more proactive in making sure that June was okay and helping June out. Because, like, I think they all knew from the get-go that uh, James had, like, bad vibes. And maybe not that they were monstrous, but, like, dangerous. At the very least, like a dark wizard. Right. right? Uh, And I think that Beck kind of held off on like really uh, getting themselves involved too deeply, too quickly. And part of that is probably like a metagaming decision, you know, to sort of like let things like unfold. Like we have to let the audience see more of what this bad relationship is like before we try to rectify it. But yeah, I, I think it's just one of those, like, I regret not being, like, a better friend more immediately. Well, there is that kind of tricky, like, when you know your friend is in a bad relationship. Like, you maybe don't know how bad, and you don't know where your yeah. place is to, like, pull them aside and be like, hey, that guy sucks. 
and you can especially if you just met them yeah so yeah yeah, i i feel for that and also like you said narratively like you kind of have to trust the player the other players to like bring in the threads of their backstory and you don't want to overstep there as as collaborative storytellers and we'll wrap up with a question from uh, two different questions that were kind of similarly brought up by the Lobster King and Johnny McCool. Uh, we've had a haunted house, a pure action brawl with the clutch, a rescue mission, a train heist. What's one genre trope or convention that you'd love to play in future mysteries? I love this question. Spy, Western, swashbuckling. What, a, what, what, what does uh, each of the players want to see moving forward? I would love to see the obligatory interlude where all of our characters play D and D like, you know, like community does it. IT crowd has it. A lot of, a lot of shows have it. The Voltron want- episode where they play D and D is amazing. <laughs> Seriously. So I'm ready for that one. <laughs> it's run First by thing. Rashida who only yeah. cares about blood and bats. <laughs> oh, so Rashida's tiny Tina. <laughs> I want to see a uh, like a Tron Spy Kids 3D game over thing mm. where it's like, like a VR. What's this? Scooby Doo Cyber Chase. This is more oh, prolific God. than I even <laughs> realized. <laughs> like similarly, I guess yeah. everyone's sitting down to play D and I want everyone in the gamer space. There's a community uh, <laughs> episode about that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, you you know, know, I just you recycle from the show. dude on Cyber Chase. <laughs> wow yeah the dude on cyber chase came in to substitute for my circus skills class in college it was rad as hell if uh if all of the hunters could be sucked into the stupid mmo that beck plays <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. fist of nordoom that would be so good that would that be very would be excellent great. That could be a one-off, maybe. <laughs> I do love the idea of trying to start sitting down to playing D and D, and Becca's just like, "But where's the graphics? Where's <laughs> where, what do we? There's there's, there's dice." <laughs> <laughs> I know we've mentioned a pirate swashbuckly adventure, which I think would be very fun. I have two that I really want to see, and I hope, like, I desperately hope we do them at some point. I really want a holiday episode. Where everyone yes. has to like get each other gifts. I just love yes. that. Uh, I I really love Christmas, so the the chance to do a holiday episode would be, uh, I think, really sweet. Uh, and like, there's some dope holiday monsters too. Like, you know, Krampus. Yeah, uh, Dickens is full of ghosts and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really want to <laughs> do. Uh, we we like almost did this with the train episode, but it, it kind of became more of a joke. But I, I want to do an a, uh, a story where we have to go to a really formal event, and like that's always fun. Like when the X Men have to infiltrate the Hellfire Club and the Dark Phoenix Saga, mm. and like they all have to like dress fancy and stuff. Like that's that's always fun. We decidedly did not do that for the train. Yeah. No, no, we yeah. looked like Beck was we in looked, roller skates. Cassius yeah. took her shoes off. It was a mess. We really got comfy in there. Yeah, we sure did. Oh, no, uh, but but it, it's always fun when the the characters have to like dress formally and be kind of out of their element. So, 
those are two tropes that I want to see Christmas episode or holiday episode and then uh formal episode. Yeah. You guys covered all the good ones. I'm trying to think of like, <laughs> what's a genre to jump in, but like you guys picked all the good ones. I feel like Flint would really shine in kind of a Western episode. <laughs> He's got kind Maybe of a yeah. noir. Uh, oh yeah. I could see Flint in a noir episode actually uh, more than uh, I'm sorry. Flint in a Western episode is just Flint. <laughs> I think um, like a, you know, like a dark laboratory kind of deal. Like everyone mm. finds like the secret government, whatever. Mm. Uh, oh, like a intensive. facility kind of. Yeah, it would be a, a nice one. Yeah, we uh, haven't my, had like a real dungeon crawl. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, I My brain wants to have some sort of UFO thing, but I think for some reason aliens are like too silly and I find them very stupid. Like as if you include uh, an yeah. alien in anything, I'm like, <laughs> suddenly I can't take it seriously. Um, I need to know from the jump if it's an alien story, you know? Yeah. You can't just throw them in two thirds of the way through. <laughs> Yeah, if you say, oh, it's aliens, I'm like, oh, well, I no longer care about this story. They, they ran reason. out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Which is weird, because, like, Cthulian monsters are aliens. Uh, they're always, you know, from outer stars that somehow yeah. have fallen to Earth in some way. And those don't, don't elicit the me. same. Yeah. They're, they're not yeah. sci-fi aliens. Yeah, they are, that's true. you know, kind of horrific fantasy aliens. From the I Ninth Realm. One yeah, they're, so. they're not... A- they're not little green men in flying cloth. One trope sure. I would love to uh, see but at is the same like time, I do think it's fun, but it's not interesting. I don't know. It's how weird how to put how to put that. Yeah, I think I think dark facility of some kind. I'm picturing a like cabin in the woods situation where oh, like I it winds that. up in a you know like a facility where they have all of the monsters and like holding cells and stuff. Mm-hmm. I admittedly have very few of the intermediary arcs planned out, so maybe I'll do something with one of these. (laughs) (laughs) So, like we said at the beginning, um, not everybody knows, uh, everyone knows Cassius, everyone knows Flint and and June and Beck, but uh, you don't always get the the full opportunity to share uh, you, you you the voice actor. Why don't we uh, go around and, and say who you are and, and give some plugs. What else are you working on besides good neighbors? Andy. <laughs> okay. Starting with me. Uh, I'm Andy. I do uh, a lot of podcasts. Uh, I have two shows on the where they may radio network called force friends, rewatch and ending pending. Uh, Ronnie is on ending pending and Ronnie also produces uh, force friends, rewatch. So thank you, Ronnie. And, um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at a one hat town and uh, this show has been a real labor of love. Uh, I've put a lot of myself uh, into it and uh, I am eternally grateful for people who listen and, uh, you know, anytime I see people tweet about it, it fills my heart with uh, a ton of gratitude and joy. So so thank you very, very much. Uh, for listening to this show and for interacting with it. Uh, I'm really fucking proud of it. And it means a lot that it connects with people. Matt, why don't you share? All right. uh, I'm Matthew. Besides this, I'm uh, 
on a stream on Mondays called uh, World of Aspire or uh, Aspiring Adventures on Twitch. Uh, it's a D&D stream that I DM. Uh, you can find me uh, Wednesdays on another stream on Players and Creators on Twitch. You can find me in the upcoming web series Life's Not Fair. I do uh, stage combat stunt work for the Spartan New Jersey Renaissance Fair, and I'm a fire breather. And I work in a machine shop, so you can find me in any of those places. <laughs> Anna. It's just a fucking wild thing to say. Oh, also, yeah. I breathe fire. Anna, would you like to, uh, to tell us about yourself and the projects you're working on? Uh, my name is Anna. Uh, I have no other projects. I have no other life outside of Good Neighbors. When we're not recording, I fold myself up like a Comrie t-shirt and slip into a uh, shoebox. I have nothing to plug, but you should heed the plugs of every other person on the show. We have a lot of really wonderful creators making a lot of really cool stuff. Are you okay? Uh, (laughs) I don't want to go back in the box. Anna Anna (laughs) created the wonderful artwork for Good Neighbors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that art. Silhouettes are very choice. I do love them. Chef's kiss. Soren, share with us a little bit about Soren and what Soren is working on right now. Uh, The big ones, of course, Good Neighbors and uh, Master Daters on Twitch. We are... It's not so much a hiatus as like a scheduling change. We're still going to be putting out content, but just in the meantime, we're, we've been working on uh, how we're going to do the new block scheduling in the future, and it should be exciting. I, we haven't set a date yet, but uh, you can look check us out on Instagram. I don't know if we have a Twitter fully set up, but nope. you can check me out on Twitter. <laughs> you Twitter's can, a fucking uh, hole. Yeah, uh, we have uh, Instagram Master Daters, uh, YouTube Master Daters uh, stream, I think, is the, or I think you can theoretically yeah. find us on just Master Daters. We'll be hopefully setting up more of the YouTube in- infrastructure uh, with these new scheduling. So definitely look at our YouTube if you want to see our backlog coming forward. Um, and like Twitch, videos. of course. Yeah. More, so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Twitch is the main place to find that. Other than that, you can find some of my acting stuff. I work with the Black Wolves Collective a lot and hopefully other stuff coming forward. Uh, I've submitted to some like screenwriting competitions and I am not expecting to hear much from them, but maybe we'll see. Fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, not much else going on. Love and life. And Leland. Hey. Our keeper, uh, what what else are you working on right now? What are those plugs? A couple things. Uh, obviously, uh, my boy here, I'm on Master Daters. You know, co-host scenario here. Uh, I'm also uh, like a bunch of the voices, and I'm going to, uh, all of the voices that mess with your throat for uh, the Elder Scrolls renewal uh, Skywind, where they remake all of Morrowind in like an updated modern engine, uh, which I'm really excited for. I'm like fucking... Anything that's like you don't sound like a natural human being, that's me. Uh, it's gonna be great. Uh, and uh, a new show that just came out very recently called Nemazine. I'm I'm one of the characters on that. Uh, and yeah, is that everything? I think. Yeah, I think that's it. That's cool. <laughs> Anything you want to plug, Ronnie? Oh, yeah. oh um. 
You can find me just like Andy on the uh, Where They May radio podcast network hosting Ending Pending. Uh, and and I think this will probably be the first time it is officially announced. Um, the podcast Music and Lyrics by a musical theater podcast that was a, a stretch goal on our Patreon is coming uh, mid-August. So uh, check that out. Uh, lots of hype for that. Uh, we'll build jukebox musicals right Right on the uh, right on the old podcast, based on people's favorite genres, artists, albums, any musical uh, interest they bring to us. That's okay. um, Will people be able to hear you sing? On the um, probably not. Maybe that's, but... <laughs> another, maybe that's another stretch goal. Maybe that is another stretch goal. <laughs> hear these uh, dulcet tones uh, tickle tickle the ivories and and tickle tickle the throat. Um, the throat ivories. The throat ivories. We, we've all got those. We're all Eldridge horrors here. Um, we yes. So you can you can find me there. Uh, also, I uh, do all of this wonderful production for Good Neighbors, Force Friends, Rewatch, other podcasts uh, through Bristol Podworks, a uh, podcasting hub that can make your podcasting dreams come true, especially if you are a big big company with deep 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 pockets uh <laughs> hit us up bristolpodworks.com and i think think that's 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 truly it um i want to thank all of you good neighbors for having me this was such a joy uh to to host you all and i uh i i can't wait to get back to only editing your voice and not mine uh, I'm, sure <laughs> future, I'm sure future ronnie is very tired of this and just wants just some some Good, good, good neighbors uh, one-liners to edit after this. Uh, I want to say a special thank you to Reed Plays on Twitter, Danny, Captain of the USS Bean, Jason Siegel, Mr. Flamingo, Mr. Ray, Brandon, Calf, Michael, Jack, the Lobster King, Ender of Worlds, Ruler of the Seas, CEO of Bumblebee Tuna, Johnny McCool, Tem, Robbie and Reed for sending in questions, but thank you so much to all of the listeners of Good Neighbors. The numbers have been climbing. We know that you are out there and that you are joining us at different uh, points of the journey. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. From me, uh, the producer, I know I'm sure I speak for the entire Good Neighbors team when I say thank you so much uh, for joining for joining us, for joining them, for for just being a part of this very very cool. You know, as, as an outside observer, I can say really just amazingly awesome thing that this talented group has put together. Um, thank you for for listening. Thank you for for being uh, ardent fans. And uh, this, I guess an actual play podcast like this doesn't have a sign off typically. So no, not usually. No, um, Cue harmonica. Yeah, cue the harmonica. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I guess the music will go right here. Good night. Bye. Bye.